Because when faith connects you to God, you have an understanding of who He is. Okay? A faith that moves mounts has to come when you have an understanding of who God is. Faith doesn't replace reason. And it doesn't replace knowledge. It is a byproduct of those things. He knew exactly who God was. So much so that he understood authority. Now, reasoning. Okay? Reasoning and knowledge. I'm, I'm not telling you that you have to understand how the miracle took place. No, I am, I'm telling you that you have to understand and have reason in your mind the kind of God that you worship, what He's able, what He's capable of doing, and, and how is it that this works. He's a man under authority, He says. He knows how authority works. God bless you. It is a pleasure to speak to your life. I want to tell you that God has great things planned for you and that these are revealed through His Word. Therefore, I encourage you to prepare your heart and to prepare your mind to hear a powerful word spoken through Pastor Richard Torres. Let's listen. Really quickly, before we get into uh, the series, I want to remind you of our revival that is happening this month already. This month already. I'm telling you, it feels like January was just around the corner, just a few months ago, feels like. But it is revival time this month. Please set those dates apart. What days are those? 20, 21st, and 22nd. Please set aside those days. If, if there is a desire of growth in any capacity in your life, you need to come to that revival. And then on Saturday, there is a leadership seminar or conference, whatever you want to call it, where this powerful couple are going to be speaking you know, leadership is not just so that you can be a minister at church. It's so that you can be a better employee at work. It's so that you can be a better entrepreneur, so you can be a better businessman, so you can be a better salesman, so you can be a better technician. Leadership is not just for the altar, for the pulpit. A leadership seminar will help you in every aspect of life, better wife, better husband, every aspect of the lives that we live. Amen? So I will encourage you to go deeper in this, you know, pursuit of God. Uh, make plans for those days and invite somebody. We'll have an amazing, amazing, amazing time. I'm hoping that we don't fit in here. Hopefully we can have that TV over there be uh, in the fellowship room, be our overflow room. And we can have it on Facebook there for the people that don't fit in this room. So let's invite some people. Amen? You guys ready for the word? The prelude. We're continuing with our series, The Prelude. What is the prelude of a miracle? Prelude of a miracle. What is the prelude of a miracle? What does the atmosphere look like? What does it feel like? What kind of elements are often present in a prelude of a miracle? What does it feel like? What does it look like? Can you tell that something is going to change? We sing a song. The atmosphere is changing. It almost feels like we can perceive what's, when something is going to happen. I, I, I feel like sometimes we go to church, and as we're driving, we get this feeling that God is going to do something. We get this feeling that something may happen today. We get this feeling that maybe God is going to speak to us. And if we don't, we should be looking for those experiences where we come into this place expecting that God may do something. Yeah. 
So what does it feel like? What are the specific things that are present in the atmosphere just before a miracle takes place? Have you thought about it? Do you think about those things? We know that one of these things that are present, one of these elements that are in this prelude of a miracle, it's faith. We know that faith is in the atmosphere when a miracle is about to take place. You can sense it. You can feel it. That's why you say the atmosphere is changing. You can feel it. There is an expectancy. You see, many times when Jesus worked a miracle, there was a mention of faith in the conversation at hand. He would have phrases that we know. For instance, he would say, Oh, ye of little faith. That is in Matthew 8.26. They were in the boat. They were in the boat, and there was this storm that was rising. It was, it was powerful. Maybe it was tossing the boat left and right, so... They came and they woke him up and said, Hey, Lord, help us, save us. Don't you know that we're perishing? So he answers, Oh, ye of little faith. You see, on, on your boat of life with raging circumstances around you, you know, there is the mention of faith, little faith. How about when he says, When he saw their faith in Luke chapter 5, verse 20, there was a paralytic man that was brought down from the roof by four of his friends. When he saw their faith, he said, Your sins are forgiven. Or what about the instance when he said, I have not found so great faith? No, not in Israel. This is found in Matthew chapter 8, verse 10. This is the centurion. Remember the centurion? that he approached him and said, Hey, uh, my house, I am not worthy of you coming into my house. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And that's the answer that Jesus had. I have, found not, I, found, I have not found such a great faith. No, not in Israel. How about your faith has made you whole? Mark chapter 5, verse 35, to the woman with the issue of blood. How about, according to your faith, be it unto you. Matthew 9, 29, to the two blind men that he healed. What about this last one? Oh, woman, great is your faith. Matthew 15, 28, to the Canaanite woman that approached him after being rejected time after time by Jesus himself. One can only come to the conclusion that faith, is found in the prelude of a miracle. That faith is key in experiencing a miracle. That faith has to be present in a moment of breakthrough. Are you with me? That faith is where you, that faith is there when you break generational curses. That faith is required to interact with God. After all, we know that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So, we understand that faith is key in this prelude of a miracle, in the atmosphere of a miracle, has to be faith. There has to be faith in the moments before you experience a miracle. There has to be faith in the moments before you receive breakthrough in your life. There has to be faith in the moments that you see victory in your life. There seems to be a great power concentrated in this little word, faith. 
I was going to say in this two-letter word, faith. But it's not two letters. Unless you're speaking it in Spanish, then it is a two-letter word. Well, there is a great power concentrated in this little word, in this small word, faith. So much power concentrated in it that if I get it right, we can actually do all things. That if we get this one little word right in our lives, that if we understand it, that we live this word, that we really engage in this little word, we can actually get healed. We can actually get restored. We can actually get transformed. There is so much power concentrated in this one word that if we get it right, we can see wonders and miracles in our lives. It's like there is too much power concentrated on this one word. For Christians, almost like our entire salvation revolves around this one word, faith. After all, it is by grace, through faith, that we are saved. So why do we struggle so much? We're familiar with the word. No one in here can say, I've never heard of that word, Pastor. That's why you're not getting excited. Because all of you have heard many messages about faith. You know it. I'm preaching to the choir. I know it. And it looks like it. Otherwise, when I said faith was found in the prelude of a miracle, you should have gotten excited there because all that is needed is just faith. I mean, if I, if I wasn't preaching to the, to the choir, when I said faith is the key to experience a miracle, somebody, someone's eyes would have brightened up and said, you know, is that all I need, just faith? I mean, if I wasn't preaching to the choir when I said faith has to be present in a moment of a breakthrough, then you should have said, you know what, I need a breakthrough. And all I need is just faith. But somehow we're so familiar with it. It's such a simple word. We've almost lost the essence of faith in our life. What is it that faith really does? It's so simple, apparently. We just have to believe in our heart and then confess with our mouth and we are saved. Salvation can, can be so simple because it is. That's all that is needed. That you believe that Jesus Christ died in the cross for you and for me. That you believe that in your heart and you confess it with your mouth and there is salvation. Yet so complex that the same faith that saves us somehow is not able to get us from a headache. The same faith that heals our heart somehow is not able to shut this gossiping mouth. You see, it's, it's complex, so simple and yet so complex, this thing about faith. The same faith that saves us sometimes can not heal us from a headache. Pastor, those may be two different faiths that we're looking at. Well, what happened to the man that was dropped from the roof? He had, or they had, one faith. They came in believing that God will do something. That same one faith, after that same white faith, the prelude of their miracle, they heard the words from Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven. That sounds to me like salvation. Just so that later he could say, take up your bed, rise, and go home. You see, the same faith, it's not different faiths. It's one faith. It's what we believe. So why do we struggle so much? You see, faith plays an important role in this new life that we have. 
And we know that this new life is filled with challenges, difficulties, problems, obstacles, surprises that life throws our way. But you see, our faith sometimes is tested, while others feels like it's being stretched. Sometimes we are certain of it. We walk like we know everything in here, and every revelation in here makes sense to us, and, and we own the Bible, and we walk like it. We, we approach somebody looking at the Bible, like, what are you doing looking at the Bible? Just ask me, I'll tell you. It's just we're so certain of it. While other times we struggle to make sense of the very simple thing that God said he loved us. We just struggle to make sense of it. Why would you love me, God? I mean, I understand that my wife loves me because she doesn't really know me yet. We've been married 13 years almost. I understand that she loves me because there's, there's things about me that she doesn't know. I understand that. But why would you love me? You saw me how I was, yet... You went for me. You saw me how I was when I said yes to you. And you've seen the failures I had after I said yes to you. You've seen how I can't get it in my head yet, some of the things that you want me to understand. And yet you love me. See, we, we have a hard time making sense of it. At times, this faith is transforming in such a powerful way that it's evident for everybody to see that faith has arrived in our lives, that we believe what God is capable of doing and we're experiencing transformation in our lives. And it is evident because everything around us is changing. While other times we complain and become whiny people because nothing around us, around us is changing. Everything seems to be the same way and maybe even getting worse. See, faith is a complicated thing. It's complex, so simple, yet so complex. So I want to talk to you today about a faith that moves mountains, a faith that moves mountains. How can faith be able to move mountains? How can faith be able to move mountains? We have faith, but somehow mountains are not moving. I want to talk to you about the faith that can move mountains. And I want to use some of the passages that I mentioned earlier to tell you about this faith that moves mountains. Now, I do want to caution you. I want to do a little disclaimer before we get into this. And it's that I wish we will not create doctrine out of one verse. Yeah. Be very careful. When you hear a good phrase from a, from a pastor on the pulpit, be careful not to create doctrine out of one phrase of a message. Just one phrase that you may hear in a 20-second clip from your favorite pastor. You see, let's be careful that we don't use one verse to create doctrine. Don't just read one verse. Even farther, don't just understand the context in which that verse was given. Go farther. Find other verses Amen. that talk about it in different instances, different contexts. Old Testament, New Testament, mix it all together, and you will realize what the essence of the Word of God is. Because God hasn't changed. 
The same God that you talk about merciful and graceful in the New Testament, you will find in the Old Testament. It's the same God. God didn't change. There are not, not two different gods, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. There are not two different behaviors of the same God in the Old Testament and the New Testament. He doesn't change. He's behaving the same way from creation all the way to revelation. So, for instance, Matthew, Matthew 17 and 20 says, if you have faith as a grain of mustard, how little is that? How little is that? You, do you need glasses to see it? So it's very tiny. Well, some people may need glasses to see it. For me, it depends on what time of the day it is. I may be able to see it. Sometimes I, my wife thinks I'm getting old because sometimes I do this. I guess I'm getting old. I'm not getting younger for sure. Matthew 17, 20 says, If you have faith as a grain of mustard, very little, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will do so. And he continues to say, and nothing will be impossible or everything will be possible for you. Now, Matthew 8, 26, when they were on the boat and the storm was coming up and they were scared, they went and woke him up. He rebuked them and said, oh, ye of little faith. I'm confused. Because he didn't rebuke them because they didn't have faith. The Bible didn't, doesn't say that Jesus said, oh, you faithless disciples. disciples. It doesn't say faithless. It says you of little faith. Maybe that was smaller than a grain of mustard. Well, one of them says that you have little faith, you can move a mountain. The other one says you have little faith and you get rebuked because you couldn't get rid of the headache. Which one is it? Is the Bible contradicting itself? No, it's not. But let's keep going. See, in Matthew 17, 20, if you have that kind of faith, as small as a mustard, nothing will be impossible for you. So faith, if you have that kind of faith, nothing will be impossible for you. But then James 4, 3, says you ask and you receive not. It doesn't say because you don't have faith. It says you receive not because you ask what? A mist. So which one is it? Which one is it? Can I have faith as small as a tiny grain of mustard and then everything will be possible for me? Nothing will be impossible for me. I can do anything. But then if I have that faith and I ask and I receive not, it's not because I didn't have faith, it's because I asked a mist. See how complex this is? So let me tell you some things about the faith that can move mountains because God doesn't contradict himself. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. You will find the essence of who God is all throughout. What happens is in every instance that faith is presented to us, stories, passages in the Bible, we, we see one angle of faith. We see one way in which faith was manifested. But it's not the absolute way in which faith exists or operates. It's just one aspect, one angle. Are you with me? It has different edges that it operates under. So the first thing I want to tell you, let's go to John chapter 6, verse 26, verse 26 and 27. John 6, 
guys still bring Bibles to church? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Some of us old people still like the sound of this. Some of us. I feel like I have an old soul. I mean, I feel like I do. Uh, I guess being or growing up with my grandparents probably had a lot to do with it. And you know what? I'm proud of it. You see, this dress right here is way too much for me already. Like, I'm pushing it already. I'm closer to... Yes, this is, so yes, I have an old soul. Do you have it? John 6, 26 and 27. Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures the everlasting life which the Son of Man will give you because God and the Father has, sent, has set His seal on Him. The first thing I want you to know about this faith that can move mountains is that this faith has to, this faith is, this faith must, this faith, this faith has to be the link that connects you to God. This faith is a link that connects you to God. The end result of faith is not a miracle. The end result of faith is a connection with God. The miracle can only be a byproduct of that connection. Every time faith starts with or, or has a desire and only desire of a miracle, you will have this situation that is described in these verses. They asked him, Jesus, when is it that you came here? They were seeking him. They were looking for him. And he answers in a, in, in a way that it's probably not very political around these days. He said, you're not seeking me because you know I am the son of God. You're seeking me because you have natural needs that you want me to suffice. You're seeking me because I want, you want me to heal you from that headache. You want me to heal you from that sickness. A faith that moves mountains has to be a faith that links you to God, that connects you to God. A faith that moves mountains is not designed to get you a miracle, but is designed to get you connected with the miracle maker. One of the stories that I use in the, in the beginning is Matthew 5, Matthew 8, verse 5. The centurion. I don't see Miriam, so if I go past the time that I'm supposed to go, you will forgive me. Thank you. Thank you for saying yes to that. Matthew 8, verse 5. You have it? Yep. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also 
am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such, such great faith, not even in Israel. I want to mention something out of this. Faith has to be a link that connects you with God. If your faith is going to move mountains, it has to be a faith that connects you with what? And the reason why I said it connects you with God, because earlier when I told you that there seemed to be a contradiction between you having faith as small as a grain of mustard, you being able to do anything, but somehow God says, you ask and you receive not. Not because you don't have faith, but because you ask and miss. You see, the faith first has to point to God, has to bring you and connect you with God so that then you know what to ask for. Faith comes what? Faith comes by hearing. So in other words, the ideas that you take to have faith must come from what you hear from God. So you having a faith that will open the Red Sea must come from hearing God saying, I will set my people free. Get away from this place. I will open the sea for you. You see, the faith that opens the Red Sea doesn't start with you thinking, you know what? It's been 200 years since we've been here in Egypt as slaves. I'm tired of this. We're getting out of here. That's not how it works. A faith that can move mounts has to be a faith that proceeds from a link that is directly to God. So when you get ideas and you expect God to back you up and cause a miracle to happen, and that was not an idea that he gave you, why would he... Do an amazing miracle and wonder in your life if that was an idea that you created in your head. Like saying, you know what, I'm going to be a millionaire. No amens? Hey, if God gave you that idea, he will give you the money. But be assured of one thing. If he's giving you a million dollars, it's because he's got a plan for a million dollars. So, let me tell you something that has to do with this. Faith comes by hearing, hearing of the word of God. Faith has to be linked, it has to be connected to God. Okay? Listen to this man's description of, of, of the atmosphere that, that leads to a miracle. He says, Jesus said, excuse me, on verse 7, after he tells them what's going on, Jesus says, I will come and heal him. He already has a word from God. Okay? He has a word from God. Right? I will come and heal him. Now listen to what he says. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. And then he proceeds to say why he's saying that. Okay? For I also, I am a man under authority. He understands how authority works. We know that, right? So in this passage, I love the essence of what's taking place here. Because this lets me know that faith doesn't replace reason and knowledge. 
Listen to this. This is very important. I hope God has been speaking to your life through this message. The desire of Bethesda Church and Pastor Richard is to change lives through love. And we are very grateful for the opportunity that this medium allows us to reach multitudes. If you would like to continue listening to more messages from our pastor or to know more about this ministry, look for us online at mybethesda.org or on facebook.com slash mybethesda. Thank you. Because when faith connects you to God, you have an understanding of who He is. Okay? A faith that moves mounts has to come when you have an understanding of who God is. Faith doesn't replace reason. And it doesn't replace knowledge. It is a byproduct of those things. He knew exactly who God was. So much so that he understood authority. Now, reasoning. Okay? Reasoning and knowledge. I'm, I'm not telling you that you have to understand how the miracle took place. No, I'm, I'm telling you that you have to understand and have reason in your mind the kind of God that you worship, what He's able, what He's capable of doing, and, and how is it that this works. He's a man under authority, He says. He knows how authority works. He knows that He is the living God, and all He has to do is say the word, and there will be a miracle. I say this because many times we expect our faith to be completely disconnected from reasoning, and knowledge. Does that make sense? It'll make sense. Let's go on with the second one because it looks like time is flying. So this faith has to be linked to God. This faith is the link that connects us to God, must be the link that connects us to God, pointing to God first. Number two, this faith is found, the source of this faith is the will of God. The source of this faith that moves mountains is the will of God. Luke chapter 5, verse 22 to 24. Luke 5, 22 to 24. Beautiful sound. You know what? I'm sure there is an app out there that on your, on your thing, when you flip it, it probably makes that sound. And if, it, if there isn't, please make sure that my name goes on that. Yes. That, yes, thank you. We believe it. 5, 22 to 24. You have it? Faith has to be found in the will of God. This kind of faith is found in the will of God. The source of this faith comes from the will of God. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise up and walk. But that you may know, listen to this, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I said to you, rise, take up your bed, and go to your house. This wonderful miracle was not just because of the faith, but it has to be the kind of faith that the source comes from the will of God. When it is God who wants something, then this faith that you have will move mountains. What is it that, that, that is going on? Well, God has an agenda. 
God clearly has an agenda. He wants to be a blessing to people. He wants to be a blessing to those around you. And when you start asking God to move mountains that are on the way for him blessing other people, guess what God is going to start doing? He will move mountains that are in the way to blessing other people. But when you're moving mountains or you're asking God to move mountains that only have to do with you and about you only, let me tell you, that mountain's probably going to stay there until you die to yourself. The faith that moves mountains is the kind of faith that is found in the will of God. The best example for this is found in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11. This is a well-known woman. Couldn't have kids. And she's praying in the altar. For Listen to her prayer. Then she made vow and said, this is Hannah, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look at, my, look at the affliction of my mister, then and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, listen to this, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. Why do I say that? The faith that moves mountains is a faith that starts, that the source is in the will of God. The sons of Eli were not doing well. There is no way that God was going to continue his lineage for the things that he had prepared. God was in need of a man of God for his house. And this woman didn't have, couldn't have kids. So her prayer was, Lord, give me a son. And I will give it back to you. How convenient for God. (laughs) How convenient for God. You know what? You're asking me for a high-paying job. And it just happens that I need a high tide in my church. You see, you're asking me to bless you financially. And it just happens that you are in the area where there's going to be events that I need someone to fund. You're asking me for something that I've been looking around so that I can now put my blessing on and this can be the instrument to be a blessing to others. Whatever this is. But it has to originate in the will of God. You see, the walls of Jericho didn't fall because they had faith. They fall because he already had an agenda that was going to set the example for the rest of the nations that were in that area to let them know that there was a living God that, that was with this wonderful nation of Israel. So he's got an agenda. The quicker you get in his agenda... The quicker you start listening to his voice and understand the atmosphere around you so you can start asking for the right things, the quicker you will see a faith that moves mountains in your life. Let's go. How convenient it was for God. But we get it all backwards in here. It has to be convenient for us. It's like... He has to change his will into what I want to do. Because he knows I want to serve him, but I want to serve him after I finish school, not now. I want to serve him after I buy my house. Then I will commit my life to him. 
I will give every time that I have after I've already saved enough money for retirement. I will start serving and sacrificing things after I've accomplished the things that I needed to do. Lord, you can use me, but keep in mind that I don't like to be inconvenienced. Lord, you can use me, but keep in mind that I'm not available at any time of the day. It has to be from 9 to 5. It has to be under my conditions. If you want to see your faith moving mountains, your faith has to first, first, before anything else, your faith has first, before anything else, linked you to God. This faith has to be from the will of God. This faith has to be found in the will of God. The source of this faith has to be the will of God. And number three, this amazing faith that moves mountains is the faith that has to be developed. Faith that has to be developed. You know, this is a hard part. This is difficult because we're used to seeing people in the spot, in the highlight of their lives. And we ignore all of the development prior to that. We ignore even the prelude of that successful moment. Matthew 17, verse 20. And I'm closing with this last point. Of course, this point can take 30 minutes, but I'm closing with this last point. Matthew 17, verse 20. I love how whenever I'm saying or suggesting that I'll take longer, you guys smile and laugh. I love that. Because you don't think it's going to happen. Or you don't mind that it would happen. It's probably even better, right? Matthew 17, verse 20. So Jesus said to them, because, you're, because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move, and nothing will be impossible for you. When we read this verse for a long time, my initial impression was, really? That tiny little faith has the power to move mountains? That's amazing. But I don't think that's the right essence of this scripture. I don't think that's the right um, idea that, that Jesus is trying to project in here. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said or compare this to a seed of a mustard tree. What he's really talking about is not about the size. But what he's really talking about is the capacity that your faith is to have. How it can be developed into what? The capacity to grow. Because he rebuked them when, we're in the, when they were in the boat for having little faith. We can have faith, sometimes little faith. Remember the man that approached him precisely in this passage right here? And said, my son is being tormented. Help me. And Jesus answered back and said, everything is possible for those who believe. The man said, I believe. But help my unbelief. Right. He had little 
faith. So this is not talking about the size, but talking about the capacity that your faith should have. How it can grow into becoming a mustard tree. Have you seen them? I'm not very familiar with with trees. I don't know them. I have trees in my house. I don't know what they are. Pastor Jim will say, yeah, this is what, this is that name. This is that name. I'm like, okay, I'll take your word for it. I have no idea. Someone said about some Indian uh, bushes, Indian something. I was like, I don't know what that is. I don't know if I have those. All I know is that they were burned because of the ice. So anyways, not knowing with names, I did look at a mustard tree. That thing is amazing. So huge, powerful, impactful. So this is talking about capacity. And we have to realize with capacity that this faith that we have in us has the capacity to move mountains, but it has to be developed. It has to grow into that kind of faith. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not just that today you say now you have a faith of uh, of the size of a mustard seed and now all of a sudden you're moving mountains. That's not how it works. You see, we fail to recognize that it wasn't like that for those that we are familiar with. Like, for instance, David. Wow, what kind of faith he had to be able to defeat Goliath. You see, that's a wonderful faith. That's powerful faith. That's the kind of faith that moved mountains. There was a mountain. There was a raging situation, circumstance for the people of Israel. And David had the faith that was powerful enough to move a mountain. Right? But that faith didn't happen overnight. He had already received a word from God years ago, maybe seven years ago, five years ago. His faith was developed first, fighting against the lion, then fighting against the bear. See, by the time Goliath came, his faith had already been exercised. He had already practiced, developed his faith. What happens is as Christians, we now have faith, and we believe that we can take on Goliath, and we haven't even spent any time alone with God. We think that Goliath happened the very next day after he was anointed as king. It wasn't like that. His faith, him believing that he was created to be a king, had to be developed. He was alone, forgotten for a while. His faith had to be exercised. I don't have time to get into the scriptures, but I will mention this. The centurion, we think that his exposure of faith in that moment was the first approach he had of faith. That is not the case. He was already a man of faith when he had that expression. Because we think that because of a moment that is highlighted in someone's life, we think that they just arrived that way and and they had that moment. No, that's not how it works. The centurion, if we use the scripture in the Bible in Luke instead of the one in, uh, in Matthew, Luke chapter 7, if we use that passage of the Bible, it says it a little bit different. It says that the, the disciples spoke to Jesus, or some of the people around Jesus told him, this man, the centurion, has a servant that is sick. And they go on to say, he is worthy of you going and listening to his need. So much so that he built us a synagogue, a temple. Let's go read it, just in case you don't think I'm making this up. (laughs) Luke chapter 7. Pastor, I don't remember that. Luke chapter 7. 
Watch, I get the, the wrong verse. Now, when he concluded, chapter one, chapter 7, verse 1. Now, when he concluded all his saying in hearing of, in hearing of, of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. Same story, just a little different description. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. Okay? And when they came to Jesus, listened how they approached him. They begged him, saying, earnestly saying, that the one for whom he should do this was what? Deserving. Deserving. He had merits. That's what they were saying. For he loves our nation and has what? Built us a synagogue. You see, you think that when you give, that when you sacrifice, that when you serve, nothing is happening. But this is a great way to exercise your faith. That your faith can grow. When you give God and you barely have anything, let me tell you that God is stretching your faith. is making you grow. When you serve, when you go beyond what, what is expected of you, God is developing your faith that was a seed of mustard, becoming now a tree of mustard, and eventually becoming a, such a huge tree that can move mountains in your life. But it doesn't happen overnight. It has to grow. By serving, by giving, even when you yourself don't have enough. A pastor and his wife were receiving the news in a restaurant from his son and daughter that they were pregnant, right? They were receiving this news. This news and so they celebrated it, rejoiced and everything. And all of a sudden, when he's getting ready to pay, somebody had already paid for their meal. But didn't say anything. Nobody knew who paid for their meal. A year later, that same pastor, it's approached by a young man. And he said, I, I, you probably don't remember this, but about a year ago, you were sitting here with your, with your kids and you guys were celebrating that they were pregnant. Well, in the next table, it was me and my wife who had been trying to have a son for a while and we couldn't. We couldn't. And so despite the pain that we had, because it wasn't working for us, we rejoiced with you guys and celebrated with yeah. you guys. And they bought their meal, right? And I just wanted to let you know that God is so faithful and so good. And he was pushing a stroller with a baby in it. You see, a faith that moves mountains, it's not something that happens overnight. It's something that, ha that starts small. Baby faith. Baby faith. That is found in the lowest points of our lives. Baby faith. We want to defeat Goliath. But at times, we can even get out, out of bed. And we feel frustrated. You see, it's because our faith has to be developed. I do remember, and this is the last thought. I do remember Jesus telling Peter, Peter, Satan has asked for you. He wants to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed that your what? Faith will not fail. Baby faith. That when the enemy gave you a punch, 
that suck the air out of your lungs, that you're on the floor, that seems like you're defeated, baby faith, to recognize that God doesn't love you less in that moment than when he called you out of that boat to go and fish for men. To realize that he didn't change his mind about you, that he loves you so much. Believe that God wants to use you. That's baby faith. Why is it so difficult for us to engage, to understand that God wants to do something in our lives? That's baby faith. Start moving. And then when the giants come, that your faith has linked you and connected you with God, that your faith comes from the source of God himself, then you will see giants falling down. You will see walls falling down. You will see red seas open in your life. Listen, faith has to be present in the prelude of a miracle. We have this amazing revival. Please, please start developing this faith so that when that day comes, you're not in the floor anymore. You're walking towards Jesus. You're already answering the call. You know, you're already decided that the enemy might have punched you down once or, or thrown, you know, a, a hit, this and that, but you're getting up and moving forward. And you're not staying there. Would you please stand? And let's pray that our faith may grow and may be present in this season. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we worship you. I know we're running over our time right now. I'm, I'm going to pray real quick. But if somebody needs to come to the altar, come. We have enough time for that. I'm going to pray. Father, we worship you. We thank you, amazing King. I thank you for your word. You've spoken to me. I pray, God, that everyone in this place may understand the complexity of faith, but not be discouraged, but instead pursue you, God, in a powerful way. But I pray a blessing over this church, a fresh revelation, God, of what you created us to do and that we may grow and develop this faith that you've given us, God. In the name of Jesus, I pray a blessing over you people. Amen. I hope you have enjoyed this message. And if one day you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and would like to visit, our address is 71001. Airport Freeway, Richland Hills, Texas, 76118. We would love to meet you. If you have any requests and would like for us to pray for you, you can call us at 817-427-0010 and leave a voice message. Contact us and let us know your comments. Once again, you can give us a call at 817-427-0010 or write us an email to info at mybethesda.org.